Anonymous said something very brilliant. <laughs> God gave us memories so we uh, could have roses in winter. Um, it was interesting. Uh, when I first came back, uh, when Sue's passed, and I came back, I spent the next day with Max, and we sat down. I had no idea what we'd talk about, but we sat there for three hours. I know Max and I had this... How many have a three-hour talk with an ex-cop? You know, I mean, I didn't know I had this. We started talking, and man, the memory started piling up. Memory after memory. And um, you're in the memory business with your family, with your kids. You're creating memories, not just vacations, and not just holidays, but memories. And um, this weekend is a national memory to take pause and, and um, to, it's actually called Memorial Day for those who have died in the service of our country. Webster calls a memory, a memorial, uh, something to keep a, memory, um, a remembrance alive. To remember and to remind ourselves Your memory is a wonderful gift from God. And those of you that have had relatives or friends that go through loss of memory, it's very hard because they have no point to be, they can't relate now in the present to what happened in the past. It's, it's a sad thing. But memory is a wonderful gift, and the scripture is full of it. All the way through, it talks about it. Um, we all have memories from childhood. You know I've done some counseling in my day. Generally, when I, if I get into it a little bit, we're going back to childhood. There was something. Some of you thought you should have been in the Bluebird group, and you were put in the Redbird group, and the Redbird group was not the good group to be in. Some of you weren't popular when other people were. Some of you were bullied. Some of you... Uh, were misunderstood. If the coach had put you in, you would have won state. You know, all these different, all these different experiences and memories we have, and good and bad. But the neuroscientists have studied memory, and your memory, unfortunately, is like Velcro on bad memories. Bad memories stick. Good memories run off your um, brain like water off a duck's back. So when you didn't get picked for the Bluebird reading group, you remember that. You remember, or you remember the teacher that said a harsh word. You've never forgotten that. But then when someone praised you in the moment, you said, oh, thank you, that's wonderful. But then you, it's like we, we forget that. That's the way our, our memories are. So scripture has a lot to say about memory. Uh, I was talking to someone recently who... Um, has, was going through some anxiety about their past. And the person uh, they were talking to, they didn't know that well. They didn't even know if they were a, a strong Christian or not. Um, they, they were just working together, and somehow the walls came down, and they were sharing about anxiety. And then this person said to the person that was having anxiety, he said, you know... The only thing the devil knows is your past. 
And that's what he's going to use on you every time. He's going to take your past and shake it all the time. And he wants you and I to live in the past. He wants us to live in, our, in the bad memories because he can't read your mind and he doesn't know the future. The only one who knows the future is God Almighty. So he's only got one card to play and that's to get in your ear about the past and blame the past for everything. And then he says, wait, but I've got a new and living way to enter boldly before the throne of grace by the blood of Christ. I will make all things new. But we say, well, I believe that that sounds good, but I'm going to live, I'm going to nurture this thing. And we feed it. And we end up controlled sometimes by what happened. It takes extraordinary work to let go of bad memories. But guess what? That's your cross and my cross. You either do it or you don't. You either, we either nurture And then if you do, if you deal with your memories that are bad and see that Christ was with you even in those times, you now become a dangerous man and woman because you, there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people just like us that are struggling with what's happening to them. Victims of their parents, victims of their school, victim of the culture, victim of whatever, just struggling, struggling. And so we come along with salt and light to help these people understand that God can heal. But you got to be healed first. You and I can't be living in those past memories that are negative and let those, those memories define us. We need to put it under the blood of Christ. When you have communion today, this is my body, this is my blood, you are once again saying that you've done that. You know, God's not opposed to memorials. In fact, it's all through uh, the scriptures, and I'll get into that a little bit later. But, you know, I just came from Washington, D.C., which is the Mecca of bad word, but good word, whatever, of memorials. As many of you know, my earliest memories of childhood stems from sitting on the steps of Robert E. Lee's mansion in Arlington and looking at the fireworks going off by the, by the Washington Monument. Another memorial, by the way, uh, to George Washington. But then I could see Memorial Bridge right in front of me, which led to Lincoln's memorial. And if you go there now, you'll see the Vietnam Memorial, and right by that, you'll see the Korean War Memorial, and then you'll see uh, FDR's memorial, and then you'll see the World War II Memorial. If you drive a couple miles, you can go to the Air Force Memorial, and then a little bit farther, you can go to Iwo Jima and see that memorial. And why are they there? To remember. There's Martin Luther King's memorial. But I have one favorite. Did that come in, the picture? Okay. 
It's called the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Many of you have been to it. And it is my favorite memorial. I lived there as a kid. I was married on that base. And actually, I was baptized as an infant. I was raised Catholic, so I was baptized as a baby. Father Fitzgerald, in case you were wondering who did it. I don't remember. My mother told me that. (laughs) But I grew up around that. And it was just... You know, and the, the cemetery itself had all these people in it, you know, from, world, from the Civil War and the Spanish-American War and um, men and women. And it, it's just a, when you walk those grounds, you, you feel like you're, you're walking among something holy. Not that everybody in those graves was a saint of saints, but there's something about memory and honor that is consistent with the heart of God. When Israel crossed the Red Sea, um, excuse me, the Sea of Jordan to go in, even before they went into battle, they went and piled up 12 stones in memory of all that God had done for them, taking them out of Egypt, bringing them through a terrible wilderness, manna by day, fire by night, miracles in the desert. And he wanted them to remember. There's 12 stones for 12 tribes. It was a memorial. The Feast of Tabernacle and the Feast of Booths, all these in the Old Testament, these are memories. Actually, even today among Jews, the Seder and the Passover are, have been in place for over 3,000 years as a memory of what happened the night the angel of death passed over. I don't know what else is happened over 3,000 years ago that is still that alive in a memory. And every, they sit there and they tell their children, this is the night that the angel came and the blood of the lamb was over the doors and passed over. And then after that, we left and then we got to the Red Sea and he parted the Red Sea. Memories. In fact, I believe it was Jefferson and Franklin wanted the parting of the Red Sea to be on our national seal at one time. It carried that much memory. The thing about the tomb that amazes me is we don't know who they are. We don't know how they died. We don't know how they felt. uh, And yet they're remembered. Seven days a week, every half hour, 365 days a year, the guard comes and changes the post. And they do this when it's uh, 25 below zero, when it gets really, it doesn't quite get that cold in Washington, but it gets cold and windy and nasty. It can be 100 degrees with humidity. It can be, there's nobody there, not a single soul except just the guard And he would do the same thing that you'll see on television this weekend if you watch, I think the vice president, the president's in Japan, the vice president will probably be laying a wreath today or this weekend. And the whole place, the amphitheater will be full and there'll be people there, but, but February 18th, when there's a hurricane or something, they're still there because of the honor. 
They're unknown. They're like so many of us. We're unknown. How many of you think, how many of you think you're famous? Well, how many would like to think you count? We like fame. We, don't, we say we don't want fame, but at some level, you, the, the, it's like, okay, t- think of this. How many people, think about your specialness. How many people in India, about, or China, round it out, a billion? billion plus. So if you're one in a million, there's a thousand of you walking around in India right now. Who are the 10 richest people in India? You don't know and I don't know, but I get, they're multi-billionaires. They carry huge influence. We don't even know who they are. Can you tell me the most powerful man in Sudan? He runs that country. You don't know, I don't even know who he is. He's famous there. Who are the top four people running China? There's a mystery in fame and knowledge. But I'd like to just touch base with what I would call the unknown saint. As we, before we get to the tomb again, there are hundreds and thousands of unknowns in the Bible, many of them called... God's anonymous men and women. What was the good Samaritan's name? I don't know. What was his occupation? Don't know. How far did he go in school? I don't know. What were his parents like? I don't know. Where was he from? I don't know. Samaria, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What was the centurion's name with the sick servant? I don't know, he's, he's Italian probably, it must be Eldal, I don't know, what would be a good Italian name? They don't, his name's not even mentioned, just his rank. And the poor servant, it's not like, will you please heal Bobby, my servant? He doesn't even get personalized in there. What about the rich young ruler? What was his name? Not even mentioned. Woman at the well. Amazing story, it's where a revival broke out in Acts chapter 8, uh, right in her hometown. She's not even mentioned by, excuse me, by name. We know who Gideon is, but the 300 that went into battle with him against 20, 50,000 soldiers and had this tremendous victory, a more powerful victory than the battles of the Thermopylae or the Alamo or even D-Day. The odds were against them so much and these 300, but we don't even know their names and they die. Who were they? Who were the 120 in the upper room when tongues of fire came down? There's some lists. There's about 12 of them that are mentioned. The apostles, some of the women are mentioned, but about 100 of them, we don't even know who they are. They were in the room when tongues of fire came down over their heads and they started speaking in other tongues. We don't even know who they are. Who are they and what happened to them? We've got the stories of Peter and Paul and Titus and Silas and Mary and Martha. 
But so many don't get any recognition other than before God. Matt was speaking recently, and he said the only opinion that matters is God's. When you get down to it, that's true. I mean, your opinion of me and mine of you carries the way we're wired. It's important in the social dynamic of life to esteem each other and care for each other. But ultimately, ultimately, what really matters in this world, in this life, is what God thinks of me. It says in Corinthians, as unknown yet well-known. I love that statement. He's talking about the, the struggles of the saints. Is unknown and yet well-known. Now, somebody in this room may end up being famous. I don't know if you will or not. But chances are you won't be famous to the president of Sudan or the four top people in China. You might be famous in Mission Viejo. You could be mayor of Mission Viejo, right, Rhonda? You were kind of... <laughs> You were kind of famous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what would she say? <laughs> how fast the fame fades, right? <laughs> how, quickly, how quickly they forget. So in your, your own little dominion, your own sphere, you're well-known and appreciated and all that. But in the big scheme, who these people were, these heroes of the faith. And there's so many more that I haven't mentioned. If you go through the Bible and look at that, you'll just be amazed. So what I'd like to do now, I, um, I get permission from my dear granddaughter to show this little clip, which was something that on that trip was a memorializing it is uh, an honor to lay the wreath, and four students from Mission Hills got to do it. I know that uh, Capital Christian does it with some of their students, uh, when they, and also uh, Stony Brook has had that. And it's interesting, it's mostly Christian schools that do this. Uh, public schools you don't see doing this the same way. So uh, go ahead and bring it up. Madison, where are you? In the back, okay. All right. An army pre-playing ceremony to be conducted by Mission Hills Christian School. It is requested that everyone remain silent and standing during this ceremony. All military personnel in uniform will render the hand salute, and it is appropriate for all others to place their right hand over their heart upon the command of present arms. Thank you.
I don't know the, um, for those of you that, I don't know how, but it reversed. So they're saluting left-handed and he's playing the trumpet left-handed. In real life, it's right-handed. And, uh, but it's a place of honor. Uh, when you see honor, you lose cynicism. You lose sarcasm. You lose smallness of spirit. You start seeing something elevated. Jesus said to rend honor to whom honor is due. Honor means manifested esteem. It's consistent with the heart of God. My prayer this morning is that our memories will let God deal with bad memories. And see that you have been given a great gift for the future. And if we don't deal with them, we are handicapped to do anything in God. Because we need ministry before we can even give ministry sometimes. The world doesn't need more victims. It doesn't need more people that are bitter, more people that didn't get a fair shake. What the world needs is people that didn't get a fair shake that have overcome by Christ. And it's obvious in and through their life. If we could go to 1 Peter 5, part of the key moving forward is to be humble. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, it says in James. And here he says, I'll just start reading. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe, I mean actually put it on every morning. Your clothes are actually humility. Let me ask, has anyone ever gotten their nose out of joint? Let me, can I see your hands? Come on, come on, raise your hands. I know you have. I've been there when it happened. They're going, what's he talking about? I don't remember that. We are so petty sometimes, aren't we? Why did you say that? You, you, you didn't. <laughs> but it's like clothed with humility. Now, okay, now what does that do for me? I have to go back to where this whole thing started. I was lost and dead in my trespasses and sins. I was starring in my own movie. I was thinking I had the world by a tail. It was all persona and fake. And God somehow through my defense mechanisms and everything else reached down and grabbed me and says, you're mine and you're going to serve me your entire life. Which I never thought that would even be possible or thought, it wasn't even in my, on my radar. But if you remember what you're really like, when are you, what are you like in your worst argument? What are you like when you're the hardest you can get? What are you like when you could care less about da-da-da? That's why we need these clothes of humility. Humility is having a right estimation of who you are before God. 
We need to wear this towards one another. So I may bug you, and you may bug me. In fact, I probably do bug you at times if you get close enough. But I need, your humility towards me is a, is a type of grace. And mine towards you is a type of grace. How many want to be married to a judge? Not me. I don't want to be married to a judge. How many want to go on vacation with a bunch of judges? <laughs> and yet we carry this in our hearts sometimes. Clothe yourself toward one another. For God is opposed. So God's against proud people. And when I operate in that element, I forget who I am. But we forget who we are. Somehow because we've been done well in something, uh, we start believing our own press clippings. Pride rises its ugly thing. And we start, our nose gets out of joint. Because we deserve something more than we're getting. But he gives grace, this unmerited favor to the humble. Continue, please. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at proper time, casting all your anxiety. Okay, your anxiety is everything bad that could ever happen to you. Anything, okay, you tell me what it is. Anything that could possibly mess with you is your anxiety. If you allow anxiety to be in your life and you own it, I own my anxiety. It's, this is what defines me, my fear of, my concern of. Then you live in your anxiety and your anxiety is actually reality to you. However, if you take the scripture the way I like to take it, casting is a, it's a I've shared this before, it's a Greek word, for fishermen with a net, they literally take their anxiety and throw it away. They cast it away because he cares for me, for you. He knows we're human. He knows that you got to pay the mortgage. He knows you're worried about your health. He knows that if this doesn't work out, you're up a creek. He knows all that. But he doesn't want us to live in that. Be of sober spirit. I mean, get our heads on right. Be on the alert. I love those guards at the tomb. Those people are absolutely on task. Here's why. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He loves to devour people full of past hurts and anxiety. He loves to get in your ear. He's the accuser of the brethren. So he justifies the state that we're in if we're in a bad spot. But we're to do this. We're to resist him. Be gone! Firm in our faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Ted Turner said, if only I had a little humility, I would be perfect. 
He's put eternity in our hearts, and we're here to make a difference. It says in Ecclesiastes 3, 11 through 15, that even the future is passed by to God. I sometimes think when I see my younger grandchildren, the way they act, I mean, they actually own the stage. They, are, they, they, they get to do whatever. They're just, they don't even, first of all, they haven't figured out where they're going to college yet. You know they're not even worried about it yet. They're not, they don't know who they're going to marry. I don't think they're worried where the next meal's coming from. And they're just playing and running around. And yet, they, they can be kind of bossy. <laughs> like, like they own the place. And they think, they, they think, and then when they sneak something or do something, they don't think you're seen. I mean, if I was trying to get this piece of paper, it's almost like I'd go like this. You can't see me. You, you can't see me. That's how you and I are with God. That's how we are with God. God sees everything, every lousy thing we ever did. In private, in public, he's been at your worst sin, your highest triumph. He's not... He's not like a prude. He doesn't run from you because, oh my gosh, I thought Kevin was nicer than that. He doesn't. He's with us in all of it. This is the relationship we have with him. It's wonderful. So I'm going to talk about another soldier here as we come to communion. It's Acts chapter 10. His name is Cornelius. He was from Caesarea, which is about 30 miles from Jerusalem, towards the water, he was a centurion of what was called the Italian co cohort, which meant that he was Italian. A lot of the Romans were um, from other countries, and they joined the army. So he was, uh, uh, back up to that, I want to keep talking about him for a minute. It says uh, uh, Italian cohort, some think that's a battalion of 600 men, but in a battalion, the Romans would break it down in what was called centuries. Centuries were 100 men, and 100 men would be what a centurion would have authority over. So he is a Roman centurion. He is not a Christian. He's not in a home group. He's not read his Bible. He's not... Um, I don't think he had a Christian wedding. Uh, I don't know what he is, except he's part of this. Now go to the next part. Listen to him. He's a devout man. Hmm. And he feared God. You know, there are people out there that aren't Christians that are devout. And they fear God. They just haven't had anybody show them who God really is. And not only did he fear God, but his whole household. Wow. And he gave many alms. Alms were... Um, it's money and service to the Jewish people. That's wild. A Roman, uncircumcised Roman, giving to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. This guy's not even a believer. Or is he a believer? Keep going. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his game on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, 
your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Wow. A non-Jew, go back. The next of the story is a wonderful story. This is the first Gentile convert. Cornelius is the reason we Irish got saved. Unless you're a Hebrew, you're a Gentile. And this is the first Gentile in the New Testament to come to the Lord. And it's just, it freaks Peter out. You read the rest of the chapter, Peter gets a vision. He, he sends a man to go talk to Peter, and Peter's praying on the roof and says, a man's coming. Then Peter goes and gives a sermon in the rest of that chapter. And during his sermon... They started speaking in tongues, and Peter flipped out. All the, he had six people with me. He said, what is this? Can we deny them water? In that case, they spoke in tongues and then were baptized. Others are baptized and then spoke in tongues. It's a wild scenario going on here. He's an officer. And his life created a memorial. I would like, wouldn't that be an awesome thing to think your life, what you do, is actually a memorial before God? It's ascended to the heaven, it's got his attention. He walked in the light he had, he was devout, he feared God, and he imparted it to his own family. To impart something, you have to have it. A friend of mine years ago came to me and he was very concerned about his son because his son was really selfish. Actually, he was very stingy. He wouldn't share his toys. Has anybody been concerned about one of your kids not sharing their toys? Well, so I said to him, I said, well, I got a question for you. He said, yeah, what's that? He said, are you a generous person? Hmm. Not particularly. <laughs> I said, well, can I ask you another question? Why do you want him to be generous? You think you're going to impart generosity when you're stingy? You think you're going to impart love when you're not loving? You think you're going to impart happiness when you're sad? You think we're going to impart something when we're that way? You impart what we are, and it, go, it gets through. It's a, it puts the fear of God in me. If I'm imparting something, I've got to be something. I've got to let God work on me. I've got to get off the shelf and say, okay, I'm being to this or to that. Lord, help me. Wash me. Cleanse me. But you cannot, if you, otherwise you are imparting information to your children, not formation. And there's a lot of information out there. Don't do as I, don't do, as I do. Do as I say. And people grow up with that. And then they teach their kids the same thing. Impartation has to be real. That's why the stakes are high. I was talking to Sean King before the meeting this morning, and I was talking about the kids and what they're facing at school and all these different cultural things that are coming at you right and left that are changing the whole idea of gender and everything else. 
How are they going to understand how to process this stuff? Or are the people that are hijacking these kinds of things the ones that are going to define our own children? Or will parents have the relationship with their children to go in and talk to them and, say, and teach them to be loving to people who are disagree- that are different and all that stuff? To be wise and, as a, and be loving and all that. But this is how God made you and this is this. And it's not just Sunday school that does that. You can't, parents, we can't, you can't sub that out. A man came to this church some years ago. First thing he said to me, I'm looking for a church that has a good Sunday school program for my kids. And I said, what about you? He said, what do you mean? I said, maybe you need something. (laughs) I was in a bad mood that day. (laughs) Because I was so sick of consumers. Gimme, 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 gimme. I want, I want, I want. I need, I need, I need. And I just said, I said, I said, he never came back. (laughs) He probably added five years to my life by not coming back. I'm sorry, he was a friend of Pat Bray's too. (laughs) But we are not a smorgasbord here. We're not bringing people in and say, here, how do you like that? Put your nickel in and get it back. No, we're trying to see people transformed by Almighty God and being salt and light in these tremendous arenas that you're called to go into. Next time you're in England, CM, I believe the Holy Spirit goes before you. And these travels, and John and Eric, as as they prepare, and all of you, uh, there's... I need a... I need a map just to figure out where you're all going to be this summer. Will you send me cards? There's so much activity going on. What a story of this centurion. I'm telling you, it's awesome. And communion is a memorial. As often as you do this, do this in memory of me.